1: AM560 WFIL, it's Tim DeMoss' show, and we are very glad to bring on board the lady with the cool name, Shanti Feldhan. Hi, Shanti. Hey, Tim. That, that's a great name. I've never met someone named Shanti before.
2: I, yeah, well, I'll tell you why. It's because it's a really common name in India. Oh. Believe it or not. Yes, my parents were in the Peace Corps in India before I was born, so nice. I confuse a lot of Indians because I have blonde hair. So not what they're used to seeing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll spell it off the bat. So, folks, because your site is simply your name, S-H-A-U-N-T-I dot com. So people can jot that down from the get go. And uh, let's start with this coming Sunday, the 27th. You're going to be in town, Ocean City Tabernacle, 830 a.m. and 1030 a.m. Can you drop a little hint about what's on the agenda and how's the planning coming?
2: Yeah, they um, they do this great summer series where they bring in speakers. And i had done this before um, and just absolutely love the group. And so when they said, would you come back for your sort of the latest message? I'm like, absolutely. Because here's what we're going to be talking about is essentially we've all gone through this sort of national trauma together, right? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. and, um, and there's just a lot to learn from a season like this. And probably one of the most important things I think for every everybody listening um, is that it's a reminder that we are supposed to be able to find joy in all circumstances. Like no matter what is going on around us, that's supposed to be one of our main callings. And uh, so that's going to be the premise of the message. I've been doing a lot of research on this, and it's kind of how do we do that? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, and you know, you have been there before, you're saying so. I think it's been like a hundred and forty-two years now that the OC Tabernacle has been around. It's a historic venue, so it's it's
2: amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's,
2: it really is. It's a really neat. I really appreciated um, the group when I was there. I guess it was just last year. Um, to, to see how they are uh, trying to provide a, a place, not just for the locals, but for the folks that are, you know, tourists and just coming for a week in the summer, you know. Yeah. So I love that.
1: It really has been a, a, a wonderful lineup in the last few years and again this year. I'm glad you can be part of it. Shanti Feldhans our guest. Uh, you're going to have time to hit the beach, by the way, or you do have to get in and out of town? I hope oh, you can hit the beach.
2: I will. No I wish I could I am um, we actually had originally talked about making it into a um, family vacation actually yeah. um but it, this is a really really busy season for us and okay. unfortunately we are gonna have to wait okay. and really enjoy the beach and the boardwalk some other time. Maybe you so. can just
1: run and touch it with your toes to say you were on the beach. <laughs>
2: I think I will. <laughs> so, you, I think I will walk the boardwalk on Saturday night and pick up a couple of things for, good. for the fam. Inhale yeah.
1: that salt air. That's a good thing. Well, uh, your, yeah. your books have sold uh, a, a lot of copies. They're in many languages. And just so folks can get to know you a bit and your work, name, you know, maybe a couple titles and even just a, a little snapshot of what a couple of the main books are about if you would.
2: Yeah, well, the books that we are probably the best known for, I guess, are uh two books, one called For Women Only, What You Need to Know About the Inner Lives of Men.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> and and for men only, which is of course the book about women. And those the thing that's astounding, those books were written in 2004, 2005. And they have new, you know, have had different editions over the years, and we've updated the research, and such a huge blessing, something that I could never have planned for. Um, But a lot of that has funded the this huge ministry that we now have of really social research to dig out the things that matter the most to relationships and matter most to having a thriving life. And, um, and it's just been, it's been astounding. Those those two books, For Women Only and For Men Only, um, they are now in 26 languages. Wow. And, um, and all of these books, um, these research-based books, etc., have sold more than 3 million copies all over the world. And it's just been so neat to see how God has picked that up and carried that along because there are so many, like little things, simple things, like talking about how do you find joy in all circumstances, yeah. like we're going to do on Sunday. There are so many little things that you just, we just don't realize matters.
0: It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening.
1: So so the word research, I know, is important to you. It pops up in your work. And yeah. in fact, I think if you go, folks go to your site, they can see the different books you've written mm-hmm. and there's surveys for all of them, right? So they can, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Just take a quick step back because you know you have the graduate degree from Harvard. You're an analyst on Wall Street, which I say this with air quotes fully explains why you wound up becoming a social researcher and an author and a speaker, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, How did that path uh, do that jump from one track to the other? I mean, but they are connected. Obviously, the research part uh, certainly I would think, and the anal- the analytical part at least. There's some continuity, I would think.
2: Yeah, well, okay. This is a perfect example of a God-directed right-hand turn. Let's just okay, let's just put it that way, because literally, I would never and ever have thought about doing what I'm doing. It, it wasn't. It it would never have been a thing in my mind because you know most people who talk on relationship stuff or. Attitude, or you know, whatever, you're usually talking to a counselor or a psychologist or a pastor, right? Yeah, right. And not me, obviously, but it's interesting just how much the skill set, that analytical background, I didn't know was being kind of raised up and nurtured on Wall Street, et cetera, in order to be used for something totally different. It literally, this whole thing, I have to tell you the story really Please quickly do. of how it started. Yeah. Because it was hilarious. I, My husband and I, we moved from Atlanta, um, from New York to Atlanta, and we live in Atlanta now. And, um, and it was really fascinating because I had this opportunity to write um, a couple of novels. This whole thing started with these novels kind of weirdly okay. because one of the main characters in the novel that I was writing was a man. And I realized I didn't know how to put thoughts in his head. <laughs> like I couldn't just say what this main character was doing. Right. I, yeah. like, I had to say what he was thinking, but you know, he's a dude. Like, what do I know? Right. About what a guy would be thinking? And so this whole thing started because I, You know, I would ask Jeff, my husband, or we'd be out to dinner, you know, with another couple and I'd go to the other husband. And the way I would ask it at the beginning was basically, hey, here's this scene in this, you know, fictional story that I'm writing. What would you be thinking if if this was you in the situation? Yeah. And as these guys started telling me what they'd really be thinking, half the time I was like seriously like I was so shocked at some of the things that I was hearing and eventually what really kind of hit me was that it the stuff that I was hearing it wasn't just hitting me because it was surprising I realized what was hitting me was that it was so foundational these weren't things that the men were describing that they kind of like you know it came up once every couple of months The stuff that they were describing was stuff that they as a a man were thinking or feeling like every day, multiple times a day. Wow. And at that point, we'd been married, I don't know, six, eight years. And I'm, of course, like, why haven't I heard this before? And it started because of the analytical background. I think that's sort of why that analyst hat went on. Yeah. And it, it's a, too long of a story to explain, but we had this incredible opportunity to do this big nationally representative survey of men. And it quantified all this stuff that I'd been hearing. And, and it was it, another thing that was astounding was that the guy who used to be the chief of survey design at the U.S. Census Bureau – Said, I want to help you do this survey. Really? And he has been our main survey design consultant ever since.
1: How did you guys get hooked up? Did you just come across somehow? I'm just maybe
2: literally. uh, It's the craziest thing. But I was telling some of my friends from our um, Christian fellowship group at Harvard. Yeah. I was. I was sort of going. I know a bit about research and analysis and survey design. Yeah, there's a little bit about that in my graduate program and but I I know it's a it's a science and I don't know enough about the science and this one friend of mine said well you know one of my colleagues that I've worked with on a couple projects is this gentleman named Dr. Charles Cowan and you know he's I, I know that this is something he's interested in and so I called him and he listened and he said okay this is crazy but I feel like I'm supposed to help you. Wow. And every single project since he has been astounding. He has been absolutely amazing in helping us make sure that we're doing this in the a way that is very consistent with good applied research. And it's it is it's been a like a graduate degree in itself <laughs> learning I how bet. to do these surveys well. But the the key thing that has come out of all of that because it started with a survey of men and then You know, the For Women Only book ended up becoming this bestseller and that ended up funding the next research project and the next one and the next one. And, you know, we've done now studies of people in the workplace and kind of what makes the happiest marriages and so on. And one of the things that we have seen over the course of now 17 years that we've been we've been doing this is this fundamental truth that so much of what causes heartache in our lives, so many of the things that kind of stop us from having the relationship that we want or the life that we want, so many of those things aren't the big ticket issues. I mean, those happen. You know, somebody was sexually abused as a child, or yeah. that there's, you know, a big addiction issue in a marriage. Like, those. Those things do happen, of course, but they don't cause most of the problems, and that instead, it's often little things that we just don't realize are getting in the way, little obstacles in the relationship that once you have the light bulb moment over your head, it it dramatically changes things.
1: Interesting, you know it may. Yeah. Folks, just tune in and chat with Shanti Feldhahn. She's going to be at the Ocean City Tabernacle this Sunday, two services: eight thirty a.m., ten thirty a.m. Details at octabernacle.org. You can also look her up at shaunti.com. Maybe that's a little bit of a lead into. I think it's your newest book, Thriving in Love and Money, which yeah, maybe on the surface. People think of talking about money because money can be something that obviously is important and is necessary. And yet, I think in your book, you're saying, well, what's the root behind the stress as opposed to just money and the need of it? Yeah. And if you've made really bad decisions, there's going to be that obvious piece. But this, the, the little things behind it, is that true? Is that kind of some of what that book's about?
2: It's a great way of putting it. Absolutely, it is. It's we and this is very consistent with the way that we've done all of the work that we've done, which is to say, Look. Money is usually a big issue in marriage, right? Like that's one of the things that sure. causes arguments and whatever we all we all know that. But the thing is, you don't need another book and another study telling you how to have a good budget. Like, yeah. and trust me, you don't want me telling you how to have a good budget. <laughs> like I still need to figure out how to work on mine better. But what what it is that's missing and what it is that we found once we did the research that's important is that it turns out there's a host of reasons why most people never get to the point of having a good budget to begin with. And that's it's not so much that we need more information on the technicalities, like here's how you do spreadsheets or here's how you get out of debt or here's how you do budgeting. Like those are important, but there's plenty of resources out there. Right. Instead, what most people need more help is, in is how do you have a great relationship with your spouse around money? why is it that you aren't necessarily on the same page or why is it that you kind of avoid <laughs> talking about money yeah. to begin with? Like what's underneath all of that. And so that's really what we focused on. You will not find in any, in that book or any of the others, you won't find the technical stuff. Like how do you have a budget? Cause like, again, you don't, you don't need that from me. It's really, we wanted to dig in, Again, what are those little things that you have no idea that are going to make a really big difference once you apply them?
1: Well, I'm guessing in your research, too, you probably have found, I'm just guessing, couples have dealt with similar issues no matter what their income is because yes. just the emotion and the feeling behind whether they have a million dollars or $20,000, the same million dollars may not be enough for some people because of how they're feeling, you know, or whatever it might be. it is,
2: it's, it's true. It's, it is until you get down into the really, really, um, like worrying about subsistence and how you're going to eat Yeah. until you get down to that level. What we found is that for the vast majority of people, other than that, for the vast majority of people, when you're having tension around money, it's not about the money. It's all about how money makes you feel and how it makes your spouse feel. And you don't realize it, but there's like a host of expectations and worries and insecurities and beliefs about how money should work. All of that is running under the surface. We don't even know it's there in us or in our spouse. And so that's really what we were studying. We wanted to figure out what is behind the relationship issues around money, because otherwise they are going to keep cycling. And keep coming up. And so that was what was so fascinating and important about this particular project, because candidly, I'll just be honest... When we started this, I was a little nervous because money was one of the areas that Jeff and I weren't on the same page. Yeah, And I knew we were going to have to, <laughs> we were going to have to be able to talk about it way better than we ever had. And it, it has made a huge difference.
1: That's great. The book again, Thriving in Love and Money. Also, we're talk, uh, talking with Shante Feldhahn is at the Ocean City Tabernacle this weekend. a.m., 10.30 a.m., details, octabernacle.org, for women only, for men only, a number of other books and resources. Folks can check out again at shanti.com, S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com.
0: You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com.
1: You've had a a lot of endorsements also of the work that you do, which must be encouraging and exciting. And one of them from Andy Stanley, which I was reading about, uh, saying you have an engaging, compelling way of presenting your findings and, and urging churches and other groups to give you the chance to share the message. So that could be through speaking like you're doing this weekend, but also the books themselves. Right. They're not just for individuals, but they could be used in a group setting or corporations, even like the business side of things.
2: Yeah, we we do both. It's interesting. There's a lot that is relevant to the average organization or corporation. There's a lot of companies that I come in and I'll do, for example, um, a lot of companies want to try to do more with women's leadership, bringing more women into the executive ranks, for example. It's especially important now that so many women have lost ground in the pandemic because of having to shepherd kids to virtual school. Sure. Um, And so I do a lot of that um, coming in and helping companies, but it's, it's also, there's a lot of organizations that want to just help their staff do better in these personal areas of life. So there's a lot of that, but, but probably about 75 to 80% of our work is going into churches. Exactly what you said. And, um, I'm speaking either a pastoral interview on a Sunday morning, um, as sort of where the pastor interviews me as the sermon time. Okay. Um, to do to do a message is that's a pr- really common. That's what Andy Stanley did. Right. Um, and it's cool because the whole congregation. Hears that one thing that it's because it's his message and it's what he's trying to convey, and I'm sort of the subject matter expert,
1: I right? Guess.
0: Right,
2: and um, and that process is a really good starting point. We, we do find um, that the books, because they are designed to be so targeted in these little things that are going to make a big difference, they're usually really good for Bible studies or small groups. Um, and like I said. Honestly, I couldn't have, I couldn't have arranged any of this. This has all been God's hand.
1: Isn't that something? Well, and you've also—it's interesting—the work that you have done has been featured all over the place. You know, so New York Times, to focus on the family of Cosmopolitan. So it's an interesting path because you know the truth of God should resonate with anybody's heart, and maybe just depending on how it's presented. Uh, you know, have you done a lot of thinking about? Uh, what's maybe opened up some of those doors or is the fact maybe that it's research based maybe is kind of a, a neutral mind a neutral word for people to consider the work that you do?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I would not have been invited to speak to the entire staff of cosmopolitan magazine. <laughs> if, right. if I, if I hadn't in the Bible, it says yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, cause all the research is nationally representative. It's really rigorous. We've spent, Oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm going to be adding it up. At the end of this particular project, which we just are closing our latest two surveys, we closed one a couple of days ago and are closing the next one tomorrow. At the end of these two, we will have just completed our 13th nationally representative study and we'll have spent $850,000 on research over the last 17 years. Wow. Wow. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's expensive to get really good rigorous data. But the benefit is, is that it's good rigorous data and it, it stands the test of um, being able to help people grasp some of these things that they wouldn't necessarily hear. If you say the Bible says, but the thing that's fascinating to me as someone who's a social scientist, but who's also a follower of Jesus is that, all of these studies that we have done over the years and like i said nationally representative right that they back up everything the bible has been saying all along and i love that
1: that's amazing i love that too and and i'm guessing then you just kind of have the wisdom of god lord helps you to yeah, kind of pick and choose your spots depending on your audience, maybe a little how far you'll go in one direction as far as referencing the Lord and, and or not, mm-hmm. and letting them yep. maybe come to you some, depending on which audience you're in front of. So,
2: Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it's relatively easy to say, look, all the research is rigorous. It's nationally representative. I show them the data. It's hard to argue with because yeah. we did a pretty, what I think is a pretty good job. It's one of the reasons I'm grateful that we got, Charles Cowan, you know, the chief former chief of survey design at the Census Bureau to be our survey design consultant because he made sure that it was fairly well done. Um, but at the same time, it's an it's an opportunity if I'm speaking to, for example, the staff of Cosmo um or some big corporate whatever group. Sometimes I have opportunities when people during a question and answer time you know, people will ask questions and I'll be able to say things like, Well, look, there's two answers to that. Here's from the data and okay, for me, I'm also interpreting this from a position of being a person of faith. Yeah. And, you know, that may not be where you are, it's totally fine, but here's something that I see in this and it's an open door. Um that maybe wouldn't have happened
1: otherwise. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's great chat with you folks just tuning in. Shanti Feldhan's our guest. S h uh, a u n t i dot com. You can look her up online, and she's at the Ocean City Tabernacle this Sunday. Both services: eight thirty a.m., ten thirty a.m. Speaking on joy, among other things. I'm sure there'll be some stories in there too. Um, just the last question, too, for if I could on the word research, which I, I find fascinating. Um, do you, when you do your research, do you have ideas that you're kind of like, I want to find out if this is true or not, or do you sometimes enter the process? with an idea, but you're really not sure where it's going to land and get surprised in the end.
2: Well, to some degree it's both, but we do have a relatively rigorous research process, which is based on the scientific method of we develop a hypothesis and okay. that comes from the first stage of our research before we ever get to the surveys, which is we spend a year or two or three, sort of depending on the project doing a ton of qualitative research okay. and like literally like I, I will whatever the topic is I will turn to the person sitting next to me on the airplane <laughs> and yes. ask some questions sure. and you know whoever is on the subway like it's a completely random moment but it gets me really good input candidly because you don't know who they are they can be completely honest and I always say you know this is feel free not to answer but most people do because people like sharing as long as they don't have to be tied to what they're sharing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, right. and
2: so we at, when you do so many of these interviews and you're trying to study, you know, for example, how men think in certain areas and do they think differently in certain ways at all? And, you know, when you hear, you hear for example, you talk to 200 men and then you go, I have heard the same thing 178 times. I think there's something there, <laughs> right. and so, and then that's what becomes a hypothesis, and okay. then that's what you're testing on the survey.
1: Well, and speaking so, of men, you you also referenced your husband Jeff. Which did you meet him at Harvard as well, or no? I did. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was at the law school.
1: Okay. Well, what does he bring to the table? It helps the, the the collaborations. I think you guys have written a few of the books together, at least.
2: We have. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. He has that analytical background, too, obviously, as an attorney. Um, but it's, it's interesting. He really is, has become very good. He's definitely kind of the, the foundation running under the surface. of. He's done all of the research projects with me. He may not always be an author on the book, but he's always a key piece of the research because he is really, really good at helping translate, he is very, very good at, you know, if I come home and I'm like, I have heard the same thing from 16 guys and I don't know what I'm hearing. He'll say, Oh, this is what that means. Oh,
1: nice. (laughs) Built in in sounding board.
2: (laughs) He is. And he is very good at seeing patterns. We'll do a bunch of research together and you know, we will do like our research for the happiest marriages, sitting across from random people who have these happy marriages and interviewing them. And he will often be one of the first ways that we see a pattern where he says, look at this, this is, you know, 10 people and eight of them said this, I think this is the same thing. And let's ask some questions about that. He's really good at that.
1: That's a big blessing. And God knew that too, right? When he brought you together. So that's
2: how God (laughs) sears things.
1: so well, yeah. we're, we're glad you can come to town this weekend. And I want to ask you to elaborate here. I, I, I recently also had heard about your uh, uh, challenge with breast cancer, right? And I'm guessing joy would come into play for that. So
2: yes, yeah. I did not. I did not know that two months after I released the the book, find joy, that I would be hearing from my doctor. Oh, by the way, you have breast cancer, oh. and I would have to apply all of those lessons in a very different and much more personal way. But it's been fascinating to see like okay, and mm. it it's amazing it's it definitely is something that all of us can do no matter what our circumstances are.
1: Amen. So Maybe. that's what
2: we're gonna talk about on Sunday.
1: okay, so I, I want to respect your time too now and let you get on your way and I get plenty going on this week, but that's great to just plant that seed so folks can come out on Sunday to see you. Um, last thing here, just I have to ask you if you're an Atlanta sports fan. As hard as it oh. is this for me to ask that question.
2: <laughs> well, okay, I hate to say it, yeah. even though we've lived in Atlanta now for quite a few years, I, I haven't gotten to be as much of an Atlanta United or a Braves or the Falcons. Like I, I really should be better, but my husband is a Michigan boy, and so we really are like Michigan Wolverines fans. You know, we're we're very tied in to the Michigan world, even though we live in Atlanta. All right. Well, Let's good.
1: See, and you did not even mention the Hawks who knocked the Sixers <laughs> out of the playoffs last night. So that, that's know. why I think we connected well during our conversation today, because there wasn't that underlying tension about
2: uh, exactly. sports teams.
1: That, exactly. It was painful for the Hawks to do that to the Sixers. So anyhow. Sorry. <laughs> No, you're not. That's all right. Well, Shanti, it's great to make your acquaintance. And thank you for taking time out of your very full day. And we're looking forward to folks coming to see you this weekend. Well, thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com